Well, good morning, Calvary Souderton, and good morning, Calvary Quakertown. It's good to see you all on this beautiful summer morning. This morning we conclude continuing what Jesus started. Oh, you have to be careful how you say that. We're concluding our series, Continuing What Jesus Started. We're not concluding Continuing What Jesus Started. That goes on and on and on, okay? So yeah, we're concluding our series, Continuing What Jesus Started, which means next week we're starting a new series. How many of you received summer 2017 when you came in? I picked that up and I was reminded of greetings from Asbury Park. Blinded by the light, spirit in the night, growing up. Saint and City. Yeah. Oh, no, it's something different. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you don't know what you're missing. You Google that and you'll discover. But here's what, you've got a little assignment over the summer. Um, just like this is a postcard that's going to help us think summer themes for our series over the next couple of months. But here's your assignment. How many of you are planning on going on vacation somewhere sometime this summer? Raise your hand. All right, that's most of you. Even if you don't go away somewhere, you still have the assignment. We're going to have the assignments old school. You need, after you get to your vacation place or if you're home, you go somewhere where you can find one, you need to find a postcard, something, something about where you are, and you need to mail that back here to the church. All right? And our goal is to collect lots and lots of Summer 17 postcards, and we'll kind of display them on the screens as they're collected. So don't forget, as you're traveling around vacationing, you know, checking out from life and work and all, don't forget, you need to pick up a postcard and send it back to the church, and we'll collect those, and we'll see how well you all do with the assignment by the end of summer. Well, starting next week, we're going to look at some summer themes Themes that uh, remind us of summer. Things in the scripture that are about summer. And we're going to do that for the next couple of months together. But this morning, we're concluding, continuing what Jesus started. Which means we're concluding our look at 2 Timothy. And as I read through the book a couple of times this week, I was reminded of something. Uh, actually, the passage that we looked at last week. But we kind of stepped over it. But before we do that. This is a series all about our white ovals. How many of you remember the CW oval, right? Well, we've collected some over there, over, and you looked at some of them in the series. So here are a few we found this week. Don't believe everything you think. Uh, certainly don't believe everything you feel, right? Our hearts are somewhat deceitful. How about this one? Driving, sorry for driving so slow in front of you. <laughs> That's a good one. How about this one? Caution, student driver and screaming parents. Uh, not that that'd be true of any of you. Honk if you love Jesus. Text if you want to meet him. <laughs> uh, that is not an encouragement, by the way. That's kind of a reprimand. Um, I used to be cool. That's not mine. I still am, right? But for some of you, you used to be. Uh, this is not mine, even though some have thought. My boss is a singer from New Jersey. That's not mine. But we've been thinking about our oval, continuing what Jesus started, and at the end of 2 Timothy, the passage we looked at last week, I, I never really noticed it before, but look at this, look, look at these collection of verses. Now, I left out some sections be, to make my point. Now, remember, Paul is in prison, about ready to be executed. He knows his life's over. He's writing to his young disciple, his mentee, Timothy, and he's encouraging Timothy to come. And then he says this, now, Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly and look what he says. Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him. 
Now, as best we can tell, that meeting did actually happen. It's not in the Bible, but that meeting actually happened, which meant that Timothy grabbed John Mark, and he went to see Paul, and Luke was with Paul. Look at the names there. Imagine that small group. Half of the gospel writers are in the group. Luke and Mark, the two gospels we call Luke and Mark, they're in the group. Luke, Mark, and Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Imagine being in that small group. What do you think they were talking about and discussing? That's pretty cool, right? In the group, there they are. Well, this morning we're going to talk about finishing the race. Finishing the race. And we've been using that metaphor about a relay race. And that is what Paul is telling Timothy. You've got to finish the race. As I finish the race, you need to finish the race as well. We need to run the relay. And by now you're probably sick and tired of me saying this. But the Christian life is kind of like a relay race. And our theme verse for the series has been 2 Timothy 2.2, which says... The things you've heard from me, me say, in the presence of many witnesses, in trust of reliable people who will be qualified to teach others also. And I'll probably never say this again. But Paul took the baton of the gospel and he ran well. And he handed it to Timothy. That's part of what this letter's all about. And he encourages Timothy to take the baton and run well. But don't just run well. Pass it to reliable people. And tell those reliable people to run well. And pass the baton to others also. And we are part of that chain. This isn't just a four-leg relay race. This goes on and on. And the baton of the gospel was passed to us. And we're encouraged, the same as they were, to run well and pass the baton. Well, this week I uh, went on YouTube. And I just typed in uh, losing relay races. Uh, I'm not going to show you any of those, but uh, some Really highly skilled, finely tuned athletes look pretty silly in those videos. I know that. But here's what I discovered in watching a whole bunch of those relay races and, you know, teams losing relay races. Relay races are almost always lost because the baton is not passed well. Sometimes somebody stumbles. You know, sometimes uh, one of the relay runners was eating barbecued ribs or something and they didn't wash their hands and the baton slips out. Sometimes they run well and they drop it on the way. It's usually the baton passes that present the problem in relay races. You know that that's also true in business? The most susceptible time for businesses is in times of succession. Yeah, we need to run well, and sometimes we don't run well, but it's those times of succession that present the problem in businesses. And you know what? It's in passing the baton that we often stumble to. We know what it's like to run well. We read the scripture. We want to apply those principles. And so we burst out of the blocks, and we're running well, and we're you know, dedicating ourselves to live as Jesus lived. And, but when it comes time to passing the baton, sharing our story, blessing other people, building into their lives, allowing other people to build into our lives, yeah, that's where we kind of stumble. That's where the baton gets lost. That's where it slips out of our hands. And so Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, don't forget, I'm not going to be here long to continually remind you, so I'm telling you one more time. Run the relay race. Run well and pass the baton. That's why we spend so much time as a church 
encouraging us to pass the baton to the next generation and that generation to the next generation. We're not the end runners in this race. We need to run well and then pass the baton. The next thing is we need to develop, to develop a sincere faith. All the way back in the beginning of the series, um, we looked at the verse where Paul commends Timothy. There's a whole bunch of stuff in the letter where Paul's kind of challenging Timothy, but he gives him one really big commendation. Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. And we need to develop sincere faith. Now the word sincere as it's used there is a negative word. It means you're not a hypocrite. That's what the word means. So what does sincere mean? Don't be a hypocrite. What's a hypocrite? Well, we think of religious hypocrites in our day, and that would certainly work. But in Paul's day and in Timothy's day, a hypocrite was nothing but an actor. And remember, in Ephesus, where Timothy was you know, serving as the pastor of the church, there was a giant theater with over 24,000 seats. Think about that. No electrical amplification, nothing. They had 24,000 seats. So Timothy knew what it was like to go and watch the actors. Paul knew what it was like to go to the theater. And the hypocrites were those that carried baskets that had a bunch of masks in them. I guess the budgets were low for the shows. I don't know. You know, in our day, you go to Broadway or something, there are lots of different actors. Well, back then, there weren't that many actors, but each of the actors would play multiple roles. And they had a little basket, and depending on the role they would play, they'd pull out that mask and hold it up to their face, and they would pretend to be that person. For some of you that may be into theater, you know the mask, right? The smiling face and the sad face. They are depictions of those ancient masks. They are pictures, they are masks of hypocrites, of actors. Are you ever tempted to wear masks like that? Paul says to Timothy, I'm reminded that you're not a hypocrite. You don't carry around a basket with a whole bunch of masks in them. You are sincere. You're genuine. You let people know who you are. Now, here's our problem. Most of the masks that we're tempted to wear are actually denials of the gospel, aren't they? The masks that we're tempted to wear are denials of the gospel. So let me just mention a few of the masks. How about this one? The performance mask. You hold that mask up and you're performing well. You're, you know, you're crossing all the T's. You're dotting all the I's. You're living as you should be living. You're performing. Well, that's a denial of the gospel because sometimes in that performance mode, we're living as if it all depends on us. We're living as if we've got to jump through the hoops. We've got to get the RPMs up because everything depends on us. That's a mask. That's not living with a sincere faith. We're told in the scripture that Jesus runs the race for us. And as we trust in him, his victory is attributed to us. Don't wear the performance mask. How about this one? Some of you wear this one. The perfectionist mask. You wear that one? Everything's got to be perfect. You may not see this in yourself. Just ask the people around you. You're always critiquing. You're always kind of knocking them down a few shots, right? The bed's never done correctly. You can't do this right. The car's never washed, done, washed the way it should be, right? Perfectionist. Well, you know what? If we're counting on perfection to gain acceptance with God, boy, we're in kind of a losing battle, right? How about this mask? The pleaser. Any of you pleasers? If you're not a performer, you're probably a pleaser. You're trying to, your whole strategy in life is to make everybody else love you and like you and be pleased with you. Boy, that's a treadmill that never ends, doesn't it? Are you a pleaser? Or are you just a pretender? 
You show up on Sunday morning and, you know, we're in a group like this. And so you're supposed to act a certain way, right? And so you pretend to be this. And at work tomorrow morning, you're supposed to be a certain way. And you put that mask on and you kind of fit in there. And you go from context to context to context. You wear the chameleon mask. Whatever context you're in, you're just pretending to experience, to live however you want, to get the feedback you want. You're wearing masks. Or would Paul be able to give you the same commendation he gave to Timothy? I'm reminded of your sincere faith. I got up this morning uh, to the Philly score on the radio. I began to ask myself, I wonder what mask the Phillies wear. Well, let's compare with them. Well, they're certainly not wearing the performance mask, right? The pleasing mask, not the fans they're not pleasing. The perfectionistic mask, yeah, right. I don't know what mask they're wearing, but they're none of the ones I mentioned, all right? In fact, we probably can't say the mask they're wearing in church. So develop a sincere faith. All right, the next one. Exercise your gifts. Exercise your gifts. Remember, toward the beginning of the letter, Paul says this to Timothy. Fan into flame the gift of God. You know, and so some of us have our gifts smoldering away Paul tells Timothy, and through Timothy he tells us, fan that gift into flame, right? There are some gifts that are meant to be put into a cabinet and looked at. There are some gifts that are just put on a shelf to be admired. There are other gifts that are designed to be used, right? So, for example, suppose someone gives you a cute little, very delicate figurine. Don't ask me why they give you one. Um, what is that for? Well, not much, actually, but it's for display, right? And so you put it in a little curio cabinet. You put it on a shelf, and you look at it, and you wonder how much money people paid for this. It's like a disgusting thing. Maybe you, you, but it's not designed for target practice, right, even though you may get some use out of it. It's not designed for, it's designed to be put and looked at and admired and dusted regularly, but that's about it. But then there's a Titleist D2 917 driver. That's not meant to be put on a shelf and looked at and dusted. That's meant to be played with, right? How about a new sports car? That's not meant to be put in your garage and just washed and waxed. How about fine art? And by the way, that's an oxymoron. But how about fine art? That's not meant to be played with and that's meant for display. Well, here's the point. Paul says to Timothy, God gave, you, God gave you gifts not for display. God gave you gifts not to put them on a shelf to be admired. God gave you gifts to be used. And the more you use them, the more those gifts develop. Kim and I helped uh, Matt and Megan move last Saturday, which meant my body was sore Sunday through Tuesday. Now, why was my body sore? Well, because I was using moving muscles that I, have, that I regularly don't use. And here's the interesting thing. Some of you may have this experience. Even if you go to the gym and even if you work out, if you do something that uses other muscles, you're still sore even though you go to the gym. Well, what Paul's saying to Timothy is, God's given you some gifts. Use those gifts. Those gifts are not meant to be put on display. Those gifts are not just meant to be looked at and admired. Those gifts are meant to be used. Use them. You watch that video of Rise Against Hunger. And many of you in this room exercised gift. You gave of your time and of your energy to pack 60,000 meals for other people. That's gifts 
to be used. We've got KidFest, and it's coming pretty quickly, and many of you need to sign up to use your gifts. And yeah, you may be sore the few days after that. That's because you're not using those gifts that much. You need to sign up for KidFest and use those gifts. See how that works? And so Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God. God gave us all gifts, different gifts, so that we work together and we fit together. Those gifts are not to be put on a shelf to be displayed and admired. Those gifts are to be used and put into play. So give of your time and your energy and your talent and put them into play and use them just like God intended. Well, the next reminder from the book is practice the pictures. Practice the pictures. Um, remember, we looked at the three occupational metaphors that Paul mentions to Timothy in the second chapter. And so here's what he says. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. There are the three pictures. Paul says, Timothy, be like a soldier, be like an athlete, be like a farmer. And then the next verse is really a good one. He says, now here's what I want you to do. Don't ask me any questions about that. Don't send me back a note and say, what do you mean? Think about it. You just wrestle with that. Play with it in your mind. And God will reveal to you what he wants you to know. And we came up with a little paradigm as we thought about it. And the paradigm goes something like this. Authority, regimen, results. Every authority gives a playbook. Every authority. So if you play for a football team, the coach gives you the playbook. If you play for a little league team or a soccer team, the coaches give you the playbook. When you go to work, your supervisor um, gives you the playbook. When you go home, your wife, oh, uh, you know what I mean. There's an authority, and the authority gives you the regimen. But make no mistake, when you follow and practice the regimen, results and consequences come. The paradigm always works. It cannot be thwarted. We adopt an authority. The authority gives us a regimen. And since the authority is our authority, we practice the regimen. And sure as shooting, the regimen produces results. So if you don't like the results you're getting, you need a new authority. Not just a new regimen, you need a new authority. You know, the utmost of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. That's what many of us do, right? We don't trade our authority. We practice the same regimen. We're just hoping we're going to have different results coming. It's not going to happen. You adopt an authority. The authority gives you a regimen. The regimen produces results all the time. So what's your authority? That's the question. That's what Paul wants Timothy to wrestle with. What's your authority? For the soldier, the authority is his commanding officer. For the athlete, the authority is those that have developed the rules, the rules of practice, the rules of preparation, and the rules of the contest. What's the authority for the farmer? The rules of nature and how things work. And there's a regimen that goes with each of them. And if you practice the right regimen based on the right authority, you will reap the right results. That's how it works. And so Paul is saying to Timothy and he's saying to you and me, we need to adopt Jesus as our commanding officer 
In chapter 3, he says, the playbook for the gospel is the Bible. Adopt that as the playbook. And if Jesus is your authority and you're living out the regimen of the gospel, there will be results that come. You'll finish the race. You'll keep the faith. And there will await for you the crown of righteousness. So what's your authority? Who's your authority? What regimen are you practicing? And what results are you receiving? That's right in the middle of the letter. Everything flows to it and from it. Well, the next uh, thing I want to remind you of is a picture of metamorphosis. We need to comply with metamorphosis. Remember that? Now, we looked at that through a verse that talks about holiness. So Paul says... Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes made holy. Now, that's the theological word, sanctified, right? They will be made holy. They'll be sanctified. Well, the word sanctify is all about metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. Now, we actually had some pictures of metamorphosis, and we used the metamorphosis picture of a butterfly. And I thought now would be a good morning to give you an update on the Zimmerman caterpillars. Uh, Remember, Ashley uh, teaches first grade, and every spring she uh, gives caterpillars to all of the first graders. She usually saves a few extras for the boys that kill their caterpillars. And uh, so we had the caterpillars in the Zimmerman kitchen this year. And so the update on the Zimmerman caterpillars, none of them made it, they died. In fact, two of them were like nasty and slimy and gooey. I don't know what happened, but none of them made it. Uh, I sure hope you all make it, by the way, right? Butterflies begin as eggs. They then become caterpillars, and caterpillars eat, 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 eat. That's kind of their job. And when you eat so much, you get filled. You need to take a nap. You take a nap, and you build a chrysalis. You build a little cocoon like a sleeping bag. You go to sleep. And out of the chrysalis, out of the cocoon, comes a butterfly. And what do butterflies do? Well, butterflies uh, dry their wings. They stretch their wings, and then they fly about. And as they're eating nectar, they are spreading beauty and life because they're pollinating the flowers as they land and as they eat. And so the picture for us, right, the gospel is all about metamorphosis. The gospel is all about the transformation that Jesus is bringing from a gross, funky, worm caterpillar to a beautiful butterfly that spreads beauty and life. How are you doing with that process? Are you complying with that or are you resisting that? You can't make it happen and neither can I. It's what the Spirit's doing inside of us, right? Jesus sends the Spirit. The Spirit energizes us on the inside. And as we're energized on the inside, that energy allows us to be transformed inside and outside. Are you complying with that or are you resisting that? Comply with metamorphosis. I want to end by mentioning grace. We need to experience and extend grace. Now, I, hate, I hesitate to do this, but what the heck. How many of you read through the book of 2 Timothy at least once during these past few months? Anybody? Raise your hand. Oh, a number of you. Good, good. If you did, you probably noticed this. Timothy, be, excuse me, Paul begins his letter to Timothy with the word grace. So here's how it begins. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father. That's good, right? So right out of the chute, 
Paul's all about grace. How does Paul end his letter? Here's how he ends it. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Now, why is grace at the beginning and the end? Well, because this relay race, this gospel deal, is grace from beginning to end. And Paul wants Timothy to be reminded of that over and over and over again. Timothy, this is a grace deal. This is not a performance deal. This is not a pleasing deal. This is not a perfectionistic deal. This is a grace deal. And remember some of the grace words that we looked at? The big grace word is the word rescue. You know, the word rescue implies you're in a predicament and can't get out yourself. So some of the things that we've seen in the news probably in the past year or so, miners that are trapped in the mine, they don't need to dig harder. They need to be rescued. Skiers that get caught in an avalanche, they don't need to claw their way out. They need to be rescued. There were another couple drownings at the Jersey Shore just this past week. Do you know when the vast majority of drownings happen? When the lifeguards are off duty. Why is that? Well, because people, swimmers, get into a predicament get into a situation that they can't get out of by themselves and there's no lifeguard on the beach to come and rescue them. The word grace is all about rescue. And we've talked about how that grace gets transacted by admitting that we're in a predicament that we can't get out of, by looking to Jesus as our rescuer, as our eternal lifeguard, and Jesus is waiting for us to admit to come rescue and save us at the beginning of the book at the end of the book Paul says to Timothy grace never forget Timothy I've been encouraging you to run this relay race run well past the baton but it's a grace race I've been reminding you of all that Jesus did for you that you can't do for yourself but Timothy remember it's a grace deal from beginning to end and I've been challenging you to allow the Spirit to work in you and live the life Jesus called you to live. I've been encouraging you to continue what Jesus started. But Timothy, make no mistake, continue what Jesus started is a grace deal from beginning to end. It's not trying harder. It's not discipline. It's grace. It's raising your hand, admitting your weakness, and letting Jesus rescue you. What are the things I wanted to remind you of? And some of you are thinking, wow, we have like 13 minutes. Oh, we're not done. I'm just done with the reminders. Well, we will uh, be done in a couple of minutes, but I thought I would uh, tell you a little bit about the rest of the story. And notice there's a question mark. I want to take a minute to tell you what history and tradition tells us happened to Paul and tells us what happened to Timothy. But these things are not in the Bible. They've been kind of cobbled together through the centuries by people that kind of understood, people that were looking around, but whether or not the details happened exactly this way, we're not sure. Timothy did get Mark, took Paul's warm clothes, his books, and found the prison that Paul was in. And Timothy and Mark and Luke and Paul Spend some time together. But soon after 
their arrival, guards came to the prison. They took Paul and dragged him from the cell outside the city and he was beheaded for being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Many believe that Timothy was a witness to that. And the reason Paul was not crucified the way lots of other first century Christians were was because Paul was a Roman citizen and it was illegal to crucify Roman citizens. So Paul died the way Roman citizens were executed, by beheading. And Paul's words came true. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. We do know from Hebrews that Timothy is then arrested. And he's released. Because Hebrews says that Timothy has been released. And tradition and history tell us that Timothy went back to Ephesus and he became the bishop at Ephesus. Interestingly, the apostle John shows up in Ephesus. And so Timothy, the one that spent so much time with Paul and with Mark and with Luke, the gospel writers, now he spends time with John who wrote the fourth gospel. And from Ephesus, we're told that he wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and he eventually is arrested, sentenced to Patmos as a prisoner where he wrote the book of Revelation. The details are much more fuzzy when it comes to Timothy. But we're told that Timothy probably lived into his 80s. And by the time he was in his 80s, there were other Roman emperors, kind of like Nero, maybe worse than Nero, that really hated this newfound religion called Christianity. And there were a group of thugs that were sent to Ephesus and other cities like it. And they would beat and they would execute the men and they would abuse and beat the women. And 80-year-old Timothy didn't run away from Ephesus. History tells us that he walked into the center of the Ephesian square and he proceeded to preach against the brutality, the murder, and the abuse of human beings that are made in God's image. And along with standing against all of those injustices, he proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ even to those who are committing such heinous crimes. And tradition tells us that some of those masked thugs came with clubs and beat 80-year-old Timothy to death in the Ephesian square. Well, what happened then? Well, we're not exactly sure, but based on what the letter says, we can guess a little. Just like Paul, as Timothy checked out here, he entered there. And I kind of suspect Paul came to meet him, don't you? And Paul probably said something like, Timothy, you did it. You kept the faith. You finished the race. And now the crown that I'm wearing is also reserved for you. And Jesus comes, the one who paid his way there, and gives him the crown of faithfulness because he finished the race. Well, those two have run. 
And now it's our turn. Are you running well? Are you passing the baton? That's what it means to continue what Jesus started. We started the series by giving you a, a little decal. If you lost yours or threw it away or something, you can pick up another one at the hub before you leave. We gave them to you not in a proud, pompous way for you to put somewhere declaring you're better than anybody else. We gave it to you as a reminder to stick it somewhere. Then when you look at it, you remember, our mission here is not to accumulate as much stuff as we can. Our mission here is not to get ahead of everybody else by any means possible. Our mission here is not to create a killer resume. Our mission here is to continue what Jesus started. Friends, the baton has been passed to us. We've got two responsibilities. Run well. Pass the baton. And you'll be tempted to forget. Look at your little decal. And maybe that'll help you remember. Let's stand and pray. Father, we give you thanks for all of those faithful brothers and sisters that have run before us and have run fearlessly and passed the baton so that we hold it today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to run well. Help us to remember our mission and help us to pass the baton. And Lord, just like those that have run before, they've finished the race, they've fought the fight, and they're now experiencing what Jesus purchased. Lord, help that to be our story too. We look forward to the day. Yeah, it'll be good to see Paul and to meet Timothy. But mostly, we look forward to meeting Jesus and hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant. We rely upon you to do it. We trust you to bring it about. We pray in your name. Amen.